really running a company and is something quite different than shepherding your open source thing. Mm-hmm. It is has nothing to do with each other, actually. Yes, they both <laughs> use the same code, and that's literally where it ends. Are you struggling to deploy cloud-native applications to a hybrid cloud? Do you want to become familiar with Kubernetes and Istio? IBM Cloud has a set of free, hands-on training, ebooks, and an always-on free tier of services to help you learn. Visit ibm.biz slash stackoverflow to learn more. That's ibm.biz slash stackoverflow. Hello and good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow with my wonderful co-hosts, Paul and Sarah. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Paul, you sound unusually chipper this morning. What's going on? Just getting by in a mixed up world. My kids are at school. Yeah. It's sun is shining. All is well. Uh, wonderful. Kids in school is a nice thing. Sarah, how you doing? Good. I was just yawning. <laughs> I have no kids in school. But you did. You brought your cat with you to Florida? Yeah, she's not in school. She didn't make she's it. She school. didn't make it in any of the private schools. We tried. Oh, bummer. They're really, they have a really high bar. <laughs> So we have a great guest today, Tim Nolet. I'm going to walk us back a little bit. We had an episode a few weeks ago after I saw a tweet, and it was about AWS barring some open source code to create a new feature inside of their service. And this sort of directly copied some of what Tim had been working on. And the question that uh, Paul and Sarah that we all discussed then was sort of like, what is, you know, big code's responsibility when they do this? What's the best way for this interaction to happen? Well, and, and I mean, it's worth like legally none. But ethically, maybe it's a little more complicated because you want to—it's a tragedy of the commons thing. You want to—you want to make sure that you're taking care of the world that you're profiting from. I don't want to descend into the debate right away, but is it true that legally none? Like, doesn't it depend on licensing, or do you mean like? Well, they got to use. I mean, they have to follow the terms of the license. That is real. You always have that. Like, but yeah. So legally according to the license, but the license doesn't incur a financial obligation or even a kind of cultural obligation it incurs a license obligation. Yeah, but but that kind of means legally you can't copy most open source code without attributing. I wonder if we could talk to somebody who actually knows what happened. Yeah. I wonder what that would be <laughs> so like. Convenient. What would it be like? Someone who's sort of worked through all these issues firsthand. Well, actually, as it happens, uh, Tim Nolet agreed to come on the show today. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Hi, Ben. I'm good. Thank you. I know you agreed to come on after working this out with AWS. So the degree that you can legally or whatever it may be, tell us a little bit about what happened and what what that discussion was like and where you ended up. So legally, nothing happened because legally nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were completely (laughs) in the clear. So I guess where we are right now is that I I had a really interesting talk with, uh, I think, one of their head open source people, uh, Matt AC. The actual team that used the the code uh, in their product, and it was really nice. They're nice people, and we're gonna do some interesting stuff with regard to a little bit of publicity around how they developed, let's say, their version of the mm. software that I open sourced, and where uh, they actually updated their 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 product blurbs to include this information. And that is kind of it. And then they're actually going to open source their version also. So we're going to be in kind of like an upstream, downstream kind of situation. Because, yeah, I think that was 
probably the best solution for this whole case. That's a really big win because a lot of times when the big organizations help themselves, they're like, yeah, it's just going to be too complicated otherwise. Can't do it. Yeah, yeah, to get them to to con- to start putting what they've done back into the commons is good open source. Good. Great. It is. It is. And I think what's interesting with what with, with Sarah and Paul already mentioned was they were legally completely okay. So in my I made a tweet, it was a slap on the wrist and it completely mentioned, "Hey, legally there's nothing going on." Mm-hmm. The thing is, the project, my open source project, is kind of a user-facing tool, and it's 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 a Chrome extension. And if you download it, you're not going to unpack it with a specific piece of software and then browse through all the notices.txt files and see what's there. So it was a little bit hidden, but I guess legally completely okay. So what, tell us what it does, actually. We're talking about in the abstract, what was this code and what is the AWS service that they built on top of it? So you mentioned a little bit earlier browser automation. So writing code that talks to your browser and does stuff, click on stuff, open windows, fill in fields, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. This has been around for ages. You have like Selenium, which is a big name in this space. But more recently, Google open-sourced Puppeteer and Mm -hmm. Microsoft open-sourced Playwright. They're both frameworks that automate the browser. My extension or the extension that I developed and later kind of is and is now maintained by my company actually automates the creation of those scripts. So it's a browser extension. You load it into Chrome. You click record, kind of like a tape player or a cassette recorder. So you you click record. You start clicking around, filling in fields, stuff like that. You hit stop and out comes a piece of JavaScript. Oh, so it's a, it's a macro generator for browsers or... Yeah, I'm thinking like uh, Emacs macros, like a, a keyboard. Like there's a keystroke recording is an undersung aspect of programming. Yeah, I honestly have never used Emacs in my life. So yeah, well, that's, most that's of the this world, episode taken. Just... <laughs> yeah, welcome to the next forty minutes of your life. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> this is going to turn into a full Emacs tutorial podcast if Paul can get away with it. Let me just describe this because it, it doesn't it might exist in Vim, but it doesn't always exist in other in other environments. So Emacs, I can literally type a keystroke and then it will record every keyboard command uh, that I do, including command invocation. And then I can rerun that. So that can be really valuable for like uh, removing the same thing from every line. But it can also be really specific, like every single line, I'm going to search for the comma and I'm going to erase the comma, then proceed to the next line. Now I'm going to evaluate that a thousand times. And it's very built into the system. And I actually always think of it as a gateway to programming, right? Because it was actually how I learned. I'm using this text editor and I couldn't figure out how to make the macros do a few things I wanted to. And then I saw the code that it output. And I was like, oh, okay, I can I can dig in here. And so it sounds a little bit similar, right? Like I'm going to do it, I'm going to perform an act and then the computer's going to repeat it over and over. What did Amazon build on top of it? What they did was basically fork the repo. So mm-hmm. the repo is called Headless Recorder. And that's also the name that it has on the Chrome extension store. Headless okay. Recorder. So that right? was a little tacky, right? That was that was part of the conversation. That was a little Yeah, yeah exactly. Kind a of little uncool. bit tacky. <laughs> yeah. So uh, recently AWS launched a service. It's called CloudWatch Synthetics, mm-hmm. which runs these scripts, which is they're kind of a competitor of my company there, or kind of, they're literally a competitor of me and my colleagues, of course. And they found it very useful that this 
extension already existed, so they forked it. At least I think. I don't know. I can't really see it. I don't see any specific AWS people in the in the forks. Mm. And then they slapped a different label on it and did a little bit of tweaking, I guess. And that's basically it. And then they shipped it as their own product. Yeah. So f- first of all, tell us what Checkly is. It has a delightful raccoon as a in, in its logo. So frankly, at this point, I'd prefer to use it over AWS, which does not have a delightful raccoon. And that's absolutely true. <laughs> so from there, aside from the raccoon, what should I know about this company? Checkly is active monitoring for developers. This means that we do two things. We check your APIs and we check your web apps. Mm. For APIs, we do API monitoring, let's say at the payload level, so we can check if it's responding, if it's responding quickly, if the payload is correct, all those kinds of things. For your web apps, we allow you as a developer to create these scripts and we run them for you in the cloud. And you can, you know, click around on your website, fill shopping cards, do logins, all those kinds of things. And if things break, we send you an alert like SMS, Slack. Yeah, no, these are very cool. I've used these in the past. They're great. And especially as someone who hates CSS and is constantly breaking it. That version of front-end testing is great. Yeah, it's 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 extremely powerful because in the end, you kind of want to know if things work. And it mm. sounds obvious, but unit testing, integration testing, all kinds of things, they, they give you security. But it's all fine, those, but yeah. yeah. You have no idea if your button has gotten so big that you can't get in the text box. It's, it's only screenshots. I've solved this in the hackiest ways in the past. The best thing I ever did was for one executive. I, she was in charge of like... It must have been 60 separate sites, all of them sort of big media properties. And I made, a, I would auto screenshot them every hour and then give her a movie at the end of the day <laughs> that she could watch so she could see the change and, and sort of like, oh, the ad implementation, so cool. it happened over here or like, wow, that there's no headline or like nothing's loading. And it was amazing what it would reveal to just look at the sites every day. So this is a power tool for that with the API connected. Yeah, and it and it goes one step further because I think snapping a screenshot, which we totally support, is, is really cool. But you also want to exercise the really crucial bits. So can I still log in? Is my shopping cart still working? And it just gives a really good feeling if that's just checked every 10 minutes. And on each deploy, that's kind of the, the little trick we do too. If you deploy a, a new version of whatever, uh, we can get a, a webhook and we check it right then at that moment. So you get that extra bit of confidence, like, hmm, we didn't break production this time. Why is this such a hard problem? Because I feel like I'm on year 15 of trying to get good, accurate (laughs) screenshots. And and let me just describe some of the things that you face when you try to do this. This is sort of a, this one drives me bananas. Oh, yeah, this is a huge pain. So it's like, all right, I'm going to screenshot. Okay, well, first of all, there's sometimes they promise, like Firefox promises a command line screenshotter. It comes and goes with versions. Sometimes you can get it to work, sometimes you can't. Okay. There's in-browser screenshotting, which at least, thank God, that kind of works. But then you want to automate it. Now you need to let the page load for three to five seconds. Like, that's hard to get. HTML5 was like, we're doing it. We're making it simple. Oh, and you know what? And then Puppeteer, it's every time I go in there and I'm like, oh, I need somehow to make sure that it can recognize my cookies. And it's always like semi-documented and I can never quite get a screenshot of the real thing I want to see. So anyway, that, that's me complaining for a minute. Why is this space so hard? Like when I hit, I use the browser, I see things on the screen, it all works so hard. When I go to automate it, it's really, really challenging. And I'm assuming you've lived with this in ways that I haven't. 
Yes. Well, there's a little actual interesting thing here. When I started building, I started building Checkly by myself. By the way, we're now ten people, so we've grown a little bit. Hey, congratulations! That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So when I started Checkly, I wanted this functionality, and I was doing it with Selenium. And then the guys at Google and and girls released Puppeteer, Mm -hmm. and I basically just took a bet. Like, hmm, this might be something interesting. This is gonna be something. But the core of the problem is in the end that a browser is as async as it gets. You never know when something is done. This is a really, really tricky issue. And and I can give you more examples. Sarah mentioned HTML5. Canvas, video, overlays, transparency. How do you know when a thing is loaded and it's visible? It sounds so easy, but if you dive into it, it's actually really, really tricky. Well, one of the things for those screenshots of all those media properties, right, is essentially they all popped up modals asking to subscribe and things like it. So, you oh, know, so annoying. Half the day I'd be most. <laughs> so that, that now you have to log into all of them, right? So it's just, it's infinite. Okay. So it's async. It's basically like 20 little browsers inside of every web page, right? It's, it's different applications, different platforms. Yeah. <sighs> and, and what's even funnier is that. Sometimes the internet is just terrible. It just doesn't, <laughs> something just doesn't load. And you click refresh and it does load. And I mean, it's terrible top to bottom. We have to give it to the internet for being full stack <laughs> terrible. Like it's terrible at the infrastructure <laughs> level. It's terrible at the interface level. And then the content is terrible. Like it's not. Uh, yeah, well, it depends <laughs> on where you look. Come on. Uh, no, the, um, we have, I mean, this is literally the feature we double try or double check everything. So if something fails, we just run it again Mm -hmm. because we want to make sure for our customers, like, was this just one of those occasions that the internet just said, no, I'm not happy because you still, there's still this 1% of, let's say, false positives or flakiness. And that's what we're battling right now. Or actually, credit where credit's due. This is the, the, the people at Microsoft and Google that are working on that with their respective frameworks that they are publishing. But it is a super tricky, tricky business still. What are those frameworks? I'm curious. So Google does Puppeteer. Mm -hmm. That's the one that came out first. Mm -hmm. This is roughly two and a half years ago, I think. And then there was a little bit of a power move, I guess. I don't know the details, but uh, most of the folks working on Puppeteer moved to Microsoft. And Uh. there they started (laughs) working on Playwright. And Playwright is uses up to a degree, I think 99% the same APIs, but it has a couple of more interesting features and it does multiple browsers uh, more reliably. Oh, interesting. So they came straight out of the gate with, hey, we support WebKit, Chromium, and Firefox. I think in the end, it's Selenium is the old it's the old guard and the new guard is Puppeteer and Playwright, and we're going to see where this is going to go. We, I honestly don't know. What are your thoughts? Should we just throw away the DOM? Where are you at? Like, yeah. you know, is it, t- is it t- should we <laughs> should start Should we have fresh? only one browser sponsored by Budweiser? That was a funny thing <laughs> <laughs> yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Is that your biggest frustration, like handling things across browsers? I mean, yeah, when you're thinking about that stuff, like are people picking the, their browsers? Are they doing all the browsers? So we're making it very simple. We just only support Chrome right now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that strategy. We, Chrome on a 13-inch MacBook Air. That's that's all you need to do. Yeah. This is also how Sarah built her website. Yeah, yeah, Sarah. exactly. Yeah, that's it. If you don't have that, then we're not interested. 
let's come back to to sort of how we met, right? Which is it seems tricky and challenging, and I, I give you a lot of respect, right? You're building a fundamental cloud-driven service, and an organization like AWS comes in and is like, yeah, we're going to help ourselves, right? And that everything is open source. It's all, it's, all, it's all kind of above board. It's just a little weird. As a small org, how do you compete at that scale when you are little? What have you figured out? Well, that's a very interesting topic and a very good question. In the end, do you compete? Yes, of course you do. But we cannot compete on so many things, of course. I mean, I I have no idea how many people work at AWS. It's probably a lot. We were 10 people. You, You compete mostly right now, at this moment, in what's called, I guess, DX, so developer experience. UX also, just what it looks and feels like. And I think we're doing a great job there by the way, and we get that feedback from our customers. We have some really interesting, cool customers from the Bay Area, hip tech startups, and they tell us this. No, I, I mean, the site is clear. The pricing is simple. Like, I'm, I'm looking at your pricing page, and it's like compared to many a pricing page, and also Amazon pricing or other other large cloud service pricing is is very opaque, even when yeah. they try to be obvious. Like, this, this it's... A dollar twenty pay as you go for ten thousand API check runs. Like okay, like I can do that. Let me get. I can go to the ATM right now. And this is very cool, actually, because we launched that new pricing yesterday. Ooh, you're getting live <laughs> feedback. It looks great. Here's the question: <laughs> Is it showing me dollars because I'm in the U.S. or is it? Ooh, good is it, question. No, you're, it's showing you dollars because literally the dollar it's, it's hard coded in the HTML. Okay, okay, <laughs> so. good. I feel better because I was I was about to get you know like kind of. Wow, they figured that out. That would be a hard one. And a nice free tier. I can have fifty. I can check an API fifty k times, which is what I do wow. when I reload Twitter. Yeah, That's I great. do that every yeah. day. <laughs> That's great. So this is literally since yesterday we launched our free plan. So I, I, I honestly hope people are going to sign up for it. We're going to, you know, really launch launch it next year. So January, we're we dark launched it yesterday. We're looking at all the stats, what's happening, but it looks awesome. And I'm on call also. So I hope nothing breaks. Oh, wow. So right in the <laughs> middle of this podcast, something could go off. And <laughs> mm, I'm looking at my clock now. I think, yeah, but the team is still online. They will have to deal with it now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there was uh, a big event. Uh, was it earlier this week or last week? GitHub Universe happened. Wait, what's GitHub Universe? That, that just Is that like their dream force? Is it a parallel universe to our universe? <laughs> but it's, it's cool because it's versioned. You can be like, yeah, you know. Yeah, everyone's an octocat in that universe. Yeah, it's like the Marvel universe, but the uh, stars are all. Cast. The problem is, exactly. it's supposed to be a versioned universe, and when something changes that you don't like, you're supposed to be able to revert. But in reality, you just have to blow away the whole universe yeah. to start over again. Reinstall. <laughs> yeah, just never really works. I don't know, you know. Sarah, you made that joke, but the whole conceit of the the show was that they animated the Octocats. That was like that was everything. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. I feel like there's a lot of value in animated Octocats. I do too. That's what our industry needs. We're going to talk through a bunch of what happened there. Uh, but one of the things that I saw up top was this sponsors thing. And I thought it was maybe relevant to the discussion, which is that there now is going to be a way for big companies to pay to support open source projects that they rely on, right? So AWS and Amex were two that were cited in this Wall Street Journal article. There are people out there from small teams, as Tim was talking about, who may have built something that then becomes essential. This gets back to Sarah's favorite XKCD. You know, the internet is held up by a tiny little pillar that some random person built once upon a time. And so 
back when we had our first podcast about Tim's issue, we kind of talked about this and decided there was no great way for big companies to financially support. Do you guys think that this implementation, this feature has promised to become that thing? And, and, and I guess also like, what are some of the, you know, potential tensions there of having like big companies pay directly to support what they want? Yeah, I think this is really, I think this is really great. So GitHub sponsors has, has been around for a little while, which is the ability for people, for individuals to pay for open source projects that they like. And what they did recently was open it up to corporations. Um, I think that corporations have been, has been doing this for a little while, just not through GitHub. I think this might make it a little easier for them to do this. The model I've seen a bunch in the past is for them hiring people that are working on the projects full time. So well, I think and this- then or monetizing around it as a company like Red Hat, right? Like there, there's a couple ways, but this idea where the independence of the open source project is preserved, but money comes in, you know, in a kind of structured way is still pretty novel, even 8 million yeah. years into open source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It feels like big companies are increasingly sort of realizing the value of open source in the way it makes developers see them in the way that it can sort of leverage and scale up because people want to start contributing. And this is just maybe an extension of that. I don't know. Tim, tell us what you think. Yeah. So I was very happy to see that feature where you with a company organization account on GitHub can be a sponsor because I literally asked that about a year ago. That question, I don't. I think I added Nat from GitHub, like, hey, when is this coming? And we're, he said, we were, we are working on it because oh, cool. it's n- okay. because it's not only for big companies. We're ten people, as I mentioned earlier. We donate one percent of our revenue to open source, and I'm now doing that for my personal GitHub account. Oh yeah, tax, uh, which is you know. Which, which works, but it's a text nightmare. It's a little bit awkward. And I'm going to port that over to our, you know, our Checkly GitHub account because that makes way more sense. No, that's, yeah. we, we do the same. We're, we're sponsors of a couple different, of at least one project actually, and, and we've donated to others. And it's just like, it's not convenient. Like it's, it puts a burden on the entrepreneur or on the open source developer and it puts a burden on the organization. So I think it's good. Part of me gets a little sad though, because it's like, tip jars versus people just sort of paying their taxes. Like, I feel like, I guess we're always yeah. going to have a tip jar model here where it's like, good job, guys. <laughs> Thanks for helping us it build is. our multi-trillion right. dollar cloud services. Yeah. Uh, right, right. yeah. We'll give you $1,000. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is, Paul, this is co- completely correct. I'm 80% really happy with this, but there's a 20% that I'm a little bit cynical where mm-hmm. I said like, this is not the end solution. This is not the solution in the end that was really gonna solve anything. Some people are gonna do really well, mm-hmm. but those are also the people that everyone knows. So there's gonna be, I'm pretty sure, like like a little bit of a pyramid where there's only a couple of well-known developers with well-known projects raking in thousands, mm-hmm. and the vast majority gets nothing. Well, yeah. I mean, it's right. sort of like, you know, we'll spend $6,000 on a phone and then people will just kind of look at the app that costs $2.99 and be like, mm. then they'll get the yeah. free one and do yeah. in-app purchases. And Apple makes <laughs> yeah. money either way. So it's just like, I, I just look at it a little bit like that, where I think that, you know, what's the end game on this is a lot of open source apps that when they run on the console are asking for, essentially have the equivalent of in-app purchases where it's like, sponsor us, sponsor us, sponsor us. 
Yeah, I see like a lot of NPM scripts starting that way from now on. Uh, You know, I mean, (laughs) the reason that very large organizations have trillions of dollars isn't, I mean, partially because there's an anti-competitive structure to American capitalism. But besides that, (laughs) also because they're really good at not giving money away, right? Like, like you know, Google, Amazon, Apple, they're good at keeping their money. And so I, I think it's, you know, they have a lot of structure around that. So it's not like, right. it's not like department heads can be like, get out the Amex, we're going to GitHub. It's Christmas. Like, we're not going to see that. <laughs> but I look, love that. That's what it's like Christmas that I want. At least a little structure here is good. I mean, Paul, you said at the beginning of the episode, like, what about licenses? And we sort of talked through that. On the last episode, we were talking about this. We were joking. You know, what if there was a license you could implement that was like, well, if you're an individual, this is free. If you're a startup, you know, with 10 people, this will cost you a dollar. And if you're a trillion dollar corporation, you can use this, but the license will cost you X, right? That would be like the pay your taxes version. Well, we we do have it. That is software as a service. You get that free, free pricing tier. And then there's like $29 personal. And then there's always right. that one on the far right that's like enterprise, get in touch. And you're like. <laughs> when, you, when you have to talk to a human, you know it's a high price. Right. I right. love enterprise, get in touch. Yeah, because you're also like, you've just you've just told everyone like, because no one wants to pick up the phone, right? No yeah, one wants it's kind of like wanting to quit the gym. Like the get yeah. Touch people for enterprise are the same mm-hmm. people that you have to talk to when you yeah. quit the gym. You're going to have to bring the cable box in. If you oh, yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah. That is, that is, oof. Yeah. Oof. But the fun of the open source is that you can do it on your own and then it can become something bigger. Like we don't want to have to have, force everybody to build a company around their open source project in order to monetize it. That's another nice thing about the sponsor thing, right? Like it, it could is. just be your side project, your individual project, or this sort of loose collaboration of, you know, can, people were doing it together. I think, I think honestly, Really running a company and is something quite different than shepherding your open source thing. Mm-hmm. It is has nothing to do with each other, actually. Yes, they both <laughs> use the same code, and that's literally where it ends. There's so <laughs> much more that you need to do. So there is no like either or, like, or I start a company or I'm going to be, a, you know, free roaming open source dev. There's so many stages in between because running a company is not for everyone. You know, it's it takes a lot of other skills and stuff. So I think it's a very good thing if you can get, you know, I don't know, a couple of hundred bucks or a thousand bucks for this thing that you build for yourself. That is awesome already. And that's why I'm still very positive about GitHub doing this. But, you know, it's not going to make you it's not going to turn you into a company. No, never. Mm. I think that's a very critical point. That is very wisely put. It, this it might go as far as helping you pay rent, but it's it's different than forming a business and making decisions about revenue and prioritization. It, it kind of just like I feel the same way. Where I'm like, okay, well, this this will help people with the hobby aspects, and this will help the big players um, have an easy way to to ask for revenue. And it's great for advertising to developers. Yes, that's right. It, this is a hiring tool too. Because you can put it on your corporate page, you know, hey, we're doing this, it looks great, and we're all in the GitHub thing. I think a lot of companies are going to get into this because it just looks good, which is which is cynical, me speaking. Yeah. It's the strangest thing in history is that Microsoft is becoming a pretty good pragmatic shepherd of open source. It is just the weirdest irony. But it is. it's like, okay, <laughs> all right. I mean, I'm glad it's happening. Like, it, it happened. Good. Yeah, and they're kind of the lowly ones out there, but they but they actually show us that it's possible mm-hmm. for this megacorp to actually do stuff where everyone's like, 
that's pretty decent, really. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing fine, and they can still act like a giant, terrifying megacorp thrusting Slack into the arms of Salesforce. Like everybody, you know, they can they can still be Microsoft and support open source. All right, y'all. I love this because we got our news in and we discussed everything with Tim. It all wraps up with a nice, neat bow. Tim, every week we do uh, something called the Lifeboat Badge. We shout out somebody on Stack Overflow who answered a question that had a score of negative three and got it up to a score of 20 or more. So today's Lifeboat goes to Ravindra Bagale, how to convert integer to character array using C. Thank you. Whoa, Ravindra. I can't believe that's a one Appreciate that just it. got answered. Very good. Well, the question itself is seven years old, but he got an answer that people really like. Oh, nice. Great job. So, Tim, how do people get in touch with you and how do they learn more about your company? Oh, that's very easy. I think the best thing they could do is go to checklyhq.com, check out the product. People can email me, tim at checklyhq.com. All the info about the open source project is also all on the company website. You can check it out. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Tim underscore Nolet. And I think that's all my social stuff I have. Excellent. All right. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper and email me podcast at stackoverflow.com with questions and suggestions. I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me at Sarah Joe on GitHub. And I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow, and you can check out my company, Postlight. Very cool. All right, everybody. It's getting close to the holidays. Don't forget, JewelBots are available. JewelBots! Yes. JewelBots.com. Yay.